Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I want to thank you for joining us for this Christmas candlelight service. We are excited that you have taken time to, to really stop and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is Jesus Christ. And so I want to begin by giving you an image that is going to be our focus for this evening. The Iron Throne from the Game of Thrones is one of the most iconic objects in the 21st century pop culture. It's a throne that's part of this, this series where people, whenever they see it, there's a place of reverence, awe, and fear. When you think about this idea of a throne, you, you think about people that sit in places of power, people that have a certain place of authority, whether that be a king, whether that be the pope, or, or even people in our judiciary system. These seats are created for very specific individuals that lead with a very certain place of authority and power. The seats are created into the decor of the land and to the king's liking. The purpose for these chairs, these thrones, is to intimidate, to strike fear, to cause as people approach, to, to approach in a place of reverence. This Christmas, there are leaders all over the world that are sitting in seats of power just like back during Jesus' time. And so in that, what I want us to do this evening is, I want us to begin this Christmas evening service with thinking about the throne and what that first throne was that that child had sat in. That throne that that child was lying in. An unlikely throne. That was the perfect throne the right throne for the perfect and rightful king. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you as we come together this evening to worship you. It's an opportunity for us to stop as we begin the Christmas celebrations that are going to happen in the next couple days. And I ask you that this evening we would have a, a real thought, an object that we can hold on to, knowing that you, you want to speak to us. You want to invite us to come around your throne and worship you together. And you are our king, the rightful king, the object of our worship. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Open to Luke chapter two, verse one through 12 with me and, and read with me. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. 
And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. An invitation to see the king. Now what's so interesting is when you look at the, the two Christmas narratives in, in Matthew and Luke, they talk about the historical setting that two different leaders were put in places of position. Two leaders that, that ruled with an iron fist and in these leaders, there was an expectation of how their people would worship them. For Augustus, he was actually given the name majestic. That's what Augustus means. He desired to be worshipped like a god. And the reason he desired to be worshipped like a god was it was all ego. He was that ruler that brought peace through power and brought civil rest to those he led. And so because of all that he had done, the Senate at that time and said, let's change his name. Let's call him Majestic. Let's call him Augustus. And so Augustus led with ego. The other hand, you have Herod. He was a brutal man, a ruthless man. He had several of his wives and several of his kings murdered because of fear that they were going to try to overtake his throne. And so Herod ruled through power, through force, through fear. And this was a setting of the birth narrative. On one hand, you had one individual, Augustus, who had no interest in this king baby. Matter of fact, he more than likely heard about this prophecy. People had probably told him that, this, that there was a child that was coming to the land and that he was going to be born. And, and Augustus didn't even care. It didn't even, he didn't even flinch. Yet Herod, on the other hand, was threatened and terrified. And he was going to do everything in his power to have that child slaughtered. There was a new king that was coming to this earth. A new king that was coming to this land. And God was inviting a whole new audience to worship him. And so people both near and far came to worship this child. Yet the throne that they had come to see was so uniquely different than the throne in which they expected. Both were more than likely surprised. Yet both were able to come face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. An unlikely throne, the manger. A manger is a feeding trough. It's a watering trough for livestock. And so what, the, what a feeding trough holds is food, is water. And it's interesting because what we see is that when we look at biblical history and we read the biblical narrative, we have sanctified a manger. It's much like our baptism at, at the plants. We have a watering trough for our baptism. If you went to one of the horse farms in West Milford or one of the horse farms in Mawa, you would see the same watering trough that we use to baptize our people 
as they use on these farms to water their livestock. And we have taken a human construction and we have sanctified it for the waters of baptism. Isn't that what Joseph did? He took a dirty, filthy, animal, slobbered-filled manger and he cleaned it, more than likely lined it with hay to be an unlikely throne for his royal son. There are lessons in the manger that I want us to look like, look at. Unlikely messages about the child, that child that, that rested his head for the first time. Messages about his life, about his death, about his kingdom. And the first message is, is that the manger was planned. When we look at the Christmas narrative, oftentimes we just read it for face value. We forget that the, the plan that God had established hundreds of years ago, when you read Isaiah over 700 years ago, God planned an unlikely plan that this child would enter the world, would be in the right place at the right time. But here's how we look at it. The manger was a fluke, was a random misfortune. The first object that, that Joseph could grab. I mean, think about Luke chapter 2, 7. This child, the angel said, laid, that was laid in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so we think, just like a parent having a child, that right away we grab something, we, we clean it, we put them in, but, but not at all. The angels were declaring the throne of Jesus. And what we also see in Micah chapter 5 is that this plan was rolling out perfectly. You, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God planned the arrival of his son in the right place, at the right time, and in the right way. Yes, this is what we could say. God could have planned to have the census taken in Nazareth where Joseph and Mary had already lived. Or what he could have done is had Joseph and Mary already living in Bethlehem so they didn't have to go on this long journey. Almost 100 miles away, God invited Joseph and Mary to go on a journey of faith. Now, let's be realistic. God already in invited Mary and Joseph to go on a journey of faith, and they already gave God yes, their yes the first time. Yes, I will be the mother of this child. Yes, I will be the father of this child. And then all of a sudden, God said, okay, you've given me your obedience. Now give me your devotion. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? They gave God their obedience and saying yes, but their devotion revealed their obedience as they took a journey of faith to go to Bethlehem. And so what we see here is that God had a perfect plan laid out for these two individuals to trust him that his plan was perfect. Now, let's bring this to our context today. 
We see historically that there's a pandemic. We see historically that there are things that are happening in our country and even globally. We see things that are so out of our control that we even question God's control. Can God really be in any of this? It's the same question that the people of Israel were asking God during the time of Jesus' birth. Could God actually be in control? And let me read to you a thought that I had. This is the thought that I had about God, what God is thinking right now. You think you know what I'm doing globally and historically? You have no idea. I'm putting things in place exactly as I please, including the birth of my son. Do we believe that God holds our destiny? Do we believe that God holds the destiny of our world? Do we believe that that God's unlikely plans are actually his perfect plans, even when they make zero sense to us? And so the manger was planned. The manger was also a sign of, of the life this king would live. The first thing that we see is that that those who came to visit him were strangers and ordinary people. They weren't the kings. They weren't the people of power. They weren't the the people of authority. They were people who were unwilling to listen to the message of the gospel. And so God invited those who were open and responsive to his holy nudge. And how true that is. Strangers and ordinary people are those who are, who are most likely to hear the gospel message. And what I find so interesting about the Magi is that they were from a distant land, serving distant gods, and yet there was something in them that knew that, the, that something was not right over here, and they had to travel to find this inner hope, this eternal hope. And for the shepherds, they were the down and out, the downtrodden. They knew that there had to be more than life than just shepherding these sheep. There was a bigger hope that they wanted. They said, you know what? I, I want more. I need more. These were the individuals that when they came to the manger, they took no offense to the child lying in the feeding trough. Jesus told us those who would follow him must be willing to come to him in faith. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, foxes have holes and and birds of the air have nests, but, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To follow Jesus was not to establish his earthly throne, but to follow Jesus meant that you were following him to his eternal throne, just like we are invited to as well. To follow Jesus meant like Mary and Joseph, Life would be by faith, knowing that God has set in motion every step along the way. The manger is just a signpost for the kingdom to come. Our world, our earth is temporary. But what we learn about a life of faith is that the kingdom Jesus was establishing in heaven, comes at a cost. 
It comes at a cost of, of us giving up our lives, our agenda, our aspirations to be part of God's perfect agenda, God's perfect aspirations for our lives. I, I really think this is the question. Do we believe that God has purposely created us for a reason? Do we believe like the Magi, like the shepherds, like Mary and Joseph, that God created us purposely for a reason? And when we, by faith, step into that purposeful plan, we are living in the confidence and the assurance of who we are as children of God. And you know this because when you are living in that, purpose, that, that purposeful place, there's a peace, there's a comfort that comes over us. Little side note, the other day I went for a prayer walk. And, I, and I've been exhausted during COVID, just like you all. And I was so exhausted that I was angry. And I went on one of my walks where I, I talk with God. And, and people must think I'm crazy. They either think I'm on Bluetooth or, or there's something loose in my mind. And I just, I was just praying and I was angry at God. And I said, God, do you really know what you're doing? Is this really the place that you have me and my family to, to be a part of your kingdom? And I remember just taking a deep breath. And I remember in that deep breath, I, I could say, I've, I've seen the hand of God purposely guide me perfectly so far. Why would I ever want to step out of his perfect plan? God is inviting us by faith for us to be part of his perfect plan that he has purposely put in place for each one of our lives. Whether it's Mary, Joseph, Rob, Sue, God has a purposeful plan for each one of us. And that's to focus on, by faith, God's eternal kingdom. And yes, it comes at a cost. Giving up my selfish will for his eternal will in my life. Now, there's one final lesson. And I really believe this is how beautiful God works. Now, when you think about a manger, we think about a wooden manger. And yes, of course, historically, there could have been wooden mangers. But more than likely, the manger that Jesus was laid in was one made of stone. A piece of stone that was carved out to put feed or water in for the livestock. But whether it be wood or stone, the first place that Jesus laid his head, his first earthly throne that people came to worship him around were two different objects, one of wood and one of stone that Jesus would have been put upon in the last day of his life. His first day came in a manger, either made of wood or stone. We weren't there. We don't know. But his final day, where people came to him, he was placed on these two different objects, one of wood and one of stone. Jesus declared this. Jesus prophesied this about himself in John chapter 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up 
so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What was Jesus talking about? During the Exodus journey, the people of God had sinned. We all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. And in their sin, they were punished by venomous snakes that came out of nowhere and they bit them. And everyone who was bit by these snakes were going to die. And so God said, Moses, go grab your staff, go lift up your staff, and everyone who looks on the staff will be healed by the poisonous venom. So what Jesus is saying, there will be a day that I will be lifted up. I will be lifted up on a wooden cross, just like Moses lifted a staff That was bronze, this one's wood. As Jesus is lifted up on a wooden cross, everybody who looks upon him will be saved by the venom of sin and death. We even see that with the soldier. When Jesus was on the cross and he had had stabbed him in the side and blood and water flowed through him, out of him, that soldier declared, Yes, this was the Son of God. And so as Jesus was on that throne, that cross, people came to either jeer him or worship him. But then they took him from the cross that was made of wood and they brought him to the tomb and they would have laid him on a platform that was carved from stone. And they put his body to be what they thought was the final resting place. But like the manger, like the cross, it was a temporary resting place for our eternal king. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus called our Lord? Because sin and death did not win. Death was defeated when Jesus was put to death and was raised to life. And for three days, that body rested there. Just like Jesus was resting in the manger, it was temporary. It was not permanent. The cross was temporary, not permanent. These were not the thrones that were going to define this king. And then they put him in a tomb, and this was not the throne that was going to define this king. But in three days, Jesus was raised from death to life. And because Jesus was obedient unto death, this is what Paul said in Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient to giving God his yes. And his devotion was all the way through, to, through his death and was put to death and was laying, lying on that stone platform because of Jesus' obedience. 
God lifted him up and brought him to his eternal seat, was at the, that which was at the right hand of the Father, and who now sits on that eternal throne and will never leave that eternal throne. He is not an Augustus. He is not a Herod. He is no one like we've ever seen in our world today. He is the eternal king. And the reason he is the eternal king was because of his obedience to death. And think about it. The whole world today, whether they believe or don't believe, is recognizing that Christmas is coming. And so, how do we close this? Tonight, we come to serve a rightful king who is lying in an unlikely throne. This Christmas has been an upside down Christmas, just like the Christmas in the birth narrative. Everything was upside down culturally speaking and historically speaking at that time for the Jewish people. And it's true for us today. But here's my challenge to you. Just like Joseph, Mary, the Magi, shepherds, trusted an unlikely plan. Are you willing to believe that God's unlikely plan for humanity is God's perfect plan? And God's perfect plan was to reconcile the world through the child that was lying in this manger. And because we have faith in Jesus, God wants to use us to be about his perfect plan partnering with him to reconcile others to him through Jesus as well. And lastly, God's unlikely plan was to present an unlikely king whose kingdom is unlike this world. God has a kingdom that is awaiting us. And because of our faith and because of our obedience, we will one day be in that eternal kingdom with him as well. Do you long for that kingdom? Do you long for eternity? Does your soul, does your heart, does your being long to, to be in the presence of that king? And we are given the Holy Spirit to be in the presence of that king here on earth. But do we come this evening in reverence, in awe, in wonder, that just as we stop to, to look at the manger, that as we look at this Christ child, as our heart longs to know him, that our heart is longing for the eternity in which we will be with him one day. Yes, the whole birth narrative is upside down. Yes, the whole plan is unlikely. It was a miracle though. It was a miracle of a God who does the impossible so that we would be able to have eternity through that child that was lying in a manger, that child who went to the cross, that child who would be laid in a tomb, and because of that journey of faith that he had taken, sits 
at the throne of God. Plant family, we are going to go into a, a song, a Christmas carol of worship. I want to invite you to grab a candle, to light that candle. And as you sing this carol together and as you look at the candle in awe and wonder, look to the eternal king, the only king that sits at the throne next to the father. Let's worship together. Plan family, here's my challenge as we go to Christmas Day and then go into a new year. As you hold that candle in your hand, representing life that Jesus has given you, go into the world and let your light shine so that the world may see and respond that your little light, this little light of mine, you have let it shine to be a sign, a signature of the kingdom that is to come. Plan family, remember this. We are praying with you and we're praying for you. Have an amazing Christmas. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.